0: I find it fascinating how people respond to it. You might have one crowd that suddenly loves this song and and they (laughs) dance to it or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. And no one's ever danced
0: to that song before. And then you have another one where you try it again in a different place and the response is, is weaker. Like songs just seem to have their own their own life as you say but yeah as you say with recording you know sometimes there are deadlines we need to record this by this date so maybe that song isn't to the state that you wanted it to to reach like you say so so live allows that that evolution and i think taking smashing pumpkins as a reference i think that's something billy's always said you know i mean on uh, melancholy, there are songs with like seventy-two guitar overdubs. I mean, that's not going to happen. That, <laughs> no, <is it>? no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think he's quite happy to say that the live experience is different from the recorded experience, and therefore that song can take a different direction.
1: Today's episode features painter, teacher, musician, and my friend Ali Morton. Ali Morton's main musical project is Massa Confusa, though it is worth listing off some of his other projects. Yukle, Gozer and the Gatekeeper, Not Myself, Five Pence Game, along with Clarty Cat Records, the DIY record label that he uses to release some of these projects. I first met Ali Morton through Global Garage. My co host Paul added a Massa Confusa track to one of our weekly playlists, and Ali reached out afterwards. We have been chatting ever since. One of many things he and I have in common is that we're both from Durham, except I'm from the one in North Carolina, and he's from the one in the UK. He currently resides in San Sebastian, which is in Basque country, in Spain. My knowledge of Basque country, home to one of the world's oldest ethnic groups that spans from northern Spain to southern France, was essentially non-existent before I met Ali. During the pandemic, I asked if he were to curate an episode of the show, and he obliged. The playlist he put together combined a mix of Basque music and music from Northeast England. It was from here my love of Basque music grew. There are some fantastic and amazing bands coming out of that region, such as Lukiuk and Balako. A lot of these bands sing in the very beautiful Basque language. Ali has since guested on Global Garage multiple times and messaged me various recommendations for new music, so... It seemed more than fitting to ask him for his favorite opening track. Let's make a mixtape. Thank you, Ali Morton, for joining me on Let's Make a Mixtape, and thank you for contributing to this season's playlist of opening tracks. You chose Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, the title track of the epic double album by the Smashing Pumpkins. Why did you pick Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness for this playlist?
0: Well, I had, I had a lot of different choices to choose from. And the first time, the first time you asked me and you said opening track, a major thing that came to my head was an introduction track. People that have intro songs. And I had things of things like AFI and how on their albums, they had a minute and a half song that would introduce the album. And it would build up to something. Or people like Mars Volta, their first song on DeLaust And then eventually, I don't know, I just thought, for me, what I like about Melancholy is, contextually, it's like a, an, a kind of FU to, to what happened before. It's kind of, we've had Gish, we've had Siamese Dream, this is what we do now. And, and it's quite a bold move to put a piano song as a first song to an album that, were for a band that were recognised as, as a guitar band entirely. Yeah, yeah. And I think it sets the premise for the experimentation, the extra instrumentation, and kind of the the, the scale of the project that that melancholy became to be. Um, so yeah, it's kind of that the the kind of brave, bold move of okay, you might hear this song first, and and, and this is this is it, like it Olympic kind of thing yeah so
1: so you see it as almost an opening statement for a change to or evolution of their sound,
0: like a thesis exactly. a thesis statement, yeah if you will exactly. a lot of my favorite bands are bands that have kind of had an evolution in their sound as well, so mm-hmm. you know they're trying different things, and especially if you think of the smash Pumpkins between you know ninety one gish and two thousand uh, machina, each album's completely different, and it's mm-hmm. kind of. Some fans are divided, they leave, they gather new fans, and they're just happy to continue to do their thing. And there's not, I mean, there's not that many bands for me that have achieved the same thing. I mean, there are bands like, I don't know, things like Susie and the Banshees, you know, like things if we go back into kind of post-punk times of of England and things like that, people like Radiohead, Björk, as a statement and as as fitting the brief of opening track, I Mm -hmm. think for me that. That that's a statement to, to be made.
1: When we were talking offline and you were you're deciding on your your choice and, and you talked about this a few minutes ago, but wanting to have it focus whatever the pick was be an intro song that that sets up the record, which I think is definitely an interesting i I th- I think there are definitely two sides of of the the thought with opening a record. You either want to set the tone for an album or you want to just hit it off strong. So I was doing something because you, you had mentioned that you were thinking about doing uh, the opening track on De Laust in the Comatorium" by the Mars Volta. And it's really interesting. Listen to that that intro. It's it's beautiful. But is De Laust in the Comatorium" if you take out that intro song, does it start as strong? I mean, it has that punch, but that intro song, I mean, it, it's almost, can you separate the intro song from the first song and yeah. can it stand on its own?
0: I'm still a type of person that likes to listen to albums, but sure. if, if that song happens to go up and shuffle or something because I'm listening on Spotify, yeah. it really confuses me when it, like Sonnet Lumiere plays and then it skips into something else. Yeah. All the other way around, you just get that second song, but you haven't had that build-up, and it's like... Yeah, I think the idea of an opening track setting the premise is is quite a, a bold move. It's the same with a live show, right? You you, yeah. you you curate the set list. You want to start strong and then you might play a hit or, you know, kind of afterwards, then there'll be a quiet moment maybe, and then you'll build it back up again. And then whether you're one of those bands that like to do encores or not, you play with that. I'm a fan of the open, opening track. <laughs>
1: Especially in the context of listening to albums. And I think one of the the benefits of melancholy is you could throw that on a playlist and it would almost feel like an interlude. It builds up into Tonight Tonight well, but it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. Tonight Tonight can exist on its own and melancholy can exist on its own too, uh, which, is, which is interesting there.
0: I was quite um, surprised to hear quite recently on, on BBC Radio 6 Music, there was a live session from, I think it was Daniel Avery. Uh, do you know the producer, Daniel Avery, the DJ? I'm not familiar. He's kind of more, um, I don't know, he's quite known for my kind of instrumental, kind of electronic stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, it's quite, um, I, I always struggle describing electronic music specifically, despite being a fan. Atmospheric, maybe? I don't know. But anyway, he was talking about how he was a big Deftones fan. Okay. I mean, I am as well. But on this mix, I think his first song on this mix, I'll double check for it, and I'll send you it later if I find it was playing Melancholy in part of this electronic hmm. set. And it was just quite strange to think, you know, was, I think it was this year, so 2023. I mean, Melancholy was, what, 95 or something like that? To see that that's a strong point for him, and hmm. it's not a reference that you'd think of. Yet, if I'm right, and it was the first track on his playlist, he's using it as an opening track, like you say, like, a, like, a, like an instrumental interlude, and he's using it as, as his beginning as well, which I thought was funny. Cool.
1: when you're constructing your set list for your your various projects what mm-hmm. what is kind of your thought when you open a live
0: show yeah normally starts strong in terms of something that's going to make an impact i'm not someone who plays live that often and uh, mainly just due to life <laughs> constraints and as a result i'm less active and as a result fewer people know me so people might just go to kind of see what's happening and then i think if you have like a strong start Mm -hmm. people go oh wow i didn't expect that and especially if we talk about my main project Massive confuser it's just me with a laptop and a guitar and some effects pedals and people often don't expect much from one person sure but it's a project i've worked on for quite a long time you know i know how to make the samples and come across strong in terms of sound. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people loop things or they use samples and they, you know, they use like a looper. But even the strength in the signal that's coming out of that pedal is, isn't strong enough to make, a, make an impact. So yeah, I've kind of found my, my way with that. So at the moment, and for a while, I've been beginning with one of my tracks, which is called Dark World, which is quite old now. It's from 2016, I think. And it's one that a lot of people that do know me, recognize as well so it's a good good thing to begin with in my opinion
1: so you're you're just you're just going right out the gate you're not building up necessarily
0: yeah i mean i'm wanting to play some some newer songs i've started working on some new stuff so i'll probably in this new set start with something that people know so dark world the strong one then maybe play around with some of my newer ones and then go back to some slightly more familiar ones but yeah i I suppose in some ways i'm a bit selfish as well because i've got 10 years of material or 11 years now I think it is and like I said because I'm not that known it doesn't really matter what I play in some respects apart from a few you know few friends or a few fans that are are gonna know my stuff so I sometimes think okay what haven't I played in a while or what went down well last time let's try that again or if that went down well last time let's try this one maybe this one will go down well as well and sometimes earlier recordings i play them and they're like wow i like your new song i'm like well that was from the very first ep but because it's been revamped and and it has a different sound live, it's stronger in sound basically
1: do you ever consider revisiting some of your previous material and reincorporating that into a, a new recording or are you considering that as it's this is the live evolution of the song and that's where
0: its life is it's it's never say never, but for me, like, I've recorded that in a moment in time and that's kind of what it is, you know? But, yeah, maybe at some point I'll either, as you say, maybe re-record the song and I can put it on a new release and it's a different version, or I could do, like, my own kind of greatest hits kind of things where I choose ones that I like, re-record them, and it's an EP of stuff or an album of stuff that I have already released, but I've recorded again. And, you know, other bands have, have done that as well. I mean... I'm quite a big fan of Sick of It All, the hardcore band, and they they did the same. They did like a best-of album, but everything was re-recorded. And it's quite interesting because you hear those, those kind of early stuff from like 86 or whatever. Those are kind of early seven inches, but they're, they've become life favorites All have kind of been forgotten about one or the other, and then they become much stronger.
1: In the grand scheme of things, we haven't been super active for that long of a time, but we've been around long enough that we've put out... A recording and some of the songs have taken on slightly different lives than when they were recorded. And it's interesting to see that evolution from even when we were road testing stuff before, you road test stuff to see what lands, what might need to be adjusted during a song. A song changes from when it's written to when it's recorded, but then even then, it still has a life of its own that just continues to grow, which is fascinating that you can't really expect a song to just be done by the time it's recorded.
0: I find it fascinating how people respond to it. You might have one crowd that suddenly loves this song and and they (laughs) dance to it or something.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And no one's ever danced to that song before. And then you have another one where you try it again in a different place and the response is, is weaker. Like songs just seem to have their own their own life as you say but yeah as you say with recording you know sometimes there are deadlines we need to record this by this date so maybe that song isn't to the state that you wanted it to to reach like you say so so live allows that that evolution and i think t- taking smashing pumpkins as a reference i think that's something billy's always said you know i mean on uh, Melancholy, there are songs with like 72 guitar overdubs. I mean, that's not going to happen. That, <laughs> no, <is it>? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think he's quite happy to say that the live experience is different from the recorded experience, and therefore that song can take a different direction.
1: Have you seen the Pumpkins live before?
0: Yes, but only from like 2000 on, you know, and they did the Reformation, so that'd be 2007, okay. I think it was. Yeah, so I got into Smash Pumpkins. Unfortunately, as their their that main bulk of their career that I admired so much was ending. So I got into them in two thousand um, when I was when I was twelve. So you know that was a time where I mean I think I might have still had dial up internet. And they they put all their albums online to stream, but it took ages for for me to even be able to hear one song. And I remember kind of buying their CDs um, from. I think it was. Um, it might, have been called, it might have been called Virgin Records then. And they had them on offer. So it was like £5.99, all of their albums. So when I got my pocket money or whatever, it was like, okay, let's buy a new Slash of Pockets album and listen back through, through all those things. So yeah, when I, was, when I found out they reformed, obviously I was happy, but obviously I was unhappy that it wasn't the original lineup.
1: That was what, Zeitgeist? In... Yeah. It was like the Reformation? Yeah. yeah.
0: Which interestingly is still an album that's not on Spotify. Weird. Yeah, there's a few other things as well. Like Billy Corgan's solo album, The Future Embrace, is also not on there. I know sometimes these are record label things, but it's just bizarre that there are so many other things that are on there from their career. And and it's like, okay, we don't like Zygast for whatever reason, or the label doesn't like it, or whatever. And it's just not there. It's very strange. Yeah. But yeah, I did. Obviously, I did enjoy them when I saw them and I was very excited. And because it was the first time they played in, in a long time life, you know, the, the set list was quite um, varied as well. I mean, I've probably got it written. I've probably got it typed up somewhere. i probably been like, oh, this is the set list that they played. But I remember it being obviously a mix of Zeitgeist and a mix of other things um, as well, which was very good. And then I saw them again kind of the year later. Because that was Leeds Festival, so you're gonna expect you're gonna expect like a a bit of a greatest hits as well anyway. And then I saw them maybe the year after playing in Manchester. I can't remember what their venue was, but that was cool because they opened with I always forget its name. I think it's Porcelino. the one that has a really long interlude at the beginning. I'm I'm great at knowing music, but not at knowing names of things. <laughs> And I'm sometimes the same with. Uh, I'm sure it's Porcelain. And I'm I'm sometimes the same with uh, lyrics as well. I seem to focus more on the music than the lyrics. And I can hear these songs millions of times, and I just it's like I'm making up lyrics in my head, and, I, and then I actually read it one one time, or it pops up on my phone because Spotify now has that kind of lyric um, thing, and then I'm like, ah, that's what he's actually saying.
1: The Smashing Pumpkins, I think, definitely has my favorite misheard lyric that i that i always mishear on on cherub rock i've always heard it as who wants this hiney? heine hiney wow Heine. yeah as if you know corgan's <laughs> like walking like yeah yo yeah. look at this butt yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's who wants this honey yeah but yeah. the way the way the affect that he puts on his voice yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've i've always misheard it and i still mishear it to this day because i refuse to acknowledge that it's anything else
0: There's this brilliant feature on BBC Radio 6 again that this one DJ does, he's called Chris Hawkins, and he does it once a week, and it's called Names in Songs. And the idea is, a bit like you, mishearing a lyric. It it can't physically be that the artist is singing someone's name, but you have to hear the name of someone in your song. And it's quite funny to hear little snippets of different songs. And and people like say, oh, my grandmother, Dora, gets her name shouted out in one minute eleven in this song. (laughs) You know, Or my brother, Stephen Peters, gets his name and and then, then he plays that clip and everyone has to decide how close is it or was it, you know. Obviously, people hear things slightly different. That's fun. It's a good feature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, I haven't found one yet that hasn't been that's related to me. It can't be a celebrity's name either. No celebrities. It has to be someone. Obviously, you could invent it, couldn't you? I know Stephen Smith or whatever, but it wouldn't be as fun that way. And 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 when it is a grandma's name, they call it nans in songs, <laughs> 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 which is brilliant. Uh...
1: That's that's incredible. I I love it. Yeah. Getting back to Smashing Pumpkins, would you and Melancholy? Would you say Melancholy is your your favorite record of the Smashing Pumpkins catalog?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to pick. Like I said, what I like about them is how all the albums are different. So it depends on my mood sometimes. I, I really like Adore, which a lot of people aren't, aren't a huge, huge fan of, you know, but for me, like that is su- such a great album as well. And and even, you know, the intro track on that to Sheila, kind of slow, acoustic-y thing, again, kind of sets the premise of this is going to be a quiet album. It's not going to be anything heavy.
1: I actually remember... I haven't listened to it in a really long time, but when I was probably in in high school, there was this used CD store that I would go to and just browse through. And it, sometimes there were some, some really cool finds. Sometimes it was just the same copy of every 90s record that everyone had been purging from their collection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but my knowledge of the Smashing Pumpkins at the time was pretty limited to what I heard on the radio. And mm-hmm. I think I had at the time Melancholy on CD and I was just browsing the used CDs and I saw a door and I was like, oh, I, I haven't heard this one before. And I didn't oh. hear, I don't think any of those were you know, on the regular radio rotation. And I listened to it and I remember just in enjoying it at at the time and being kind of surprised because it did sound so different than what I was familiar with. And I remember kind of being surprised and pleased with that.
0: It's interesting because I sometimes think about associating what I listen to with seasons or times of year. And I don't know if it's because that's when I first listened to that thing, but I often like to listen to Pisces of Iscariot and Simon's Dream in the summer. There's something about that fuzzy sound. Mm, okay. And that kind of, some of the songs are happy, or maybe they sound happy, but lyrically they're not. But it's kind of slightly uplifting. So they kind of have that summery vibe.
1: I definitely have seasonal moods too. Like when it starts to get cool out, I really crave kind of uh, Americana, alt country Mm -hmm. uh, kinds of of stuff. Like I I love his Golden Messenger. And typically, on, on average, he releases new albums in... Like August, September, October, so maybe it's part of that conditioning. But there's something about that music that I really associate with the the cool weather and you know the smell of falling leaves with with that music.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are your seasonal rotations? For some reason, in autumn, I always listen to "Refuse the Shape of Punk to Come." I don't know why. I have no idea why. Maybe it's like the, the heaviness of a, of a change in. You know, the weather's starting to get a little bit worse, maybe something like that. And then towards Christmas, I I always have this memory of... um Fat Records, when Fat Records released podcasts. And I always listened to this particular mixtape that um Fat Mike made for Floyd. I don't know if Floyd still works for Fat Rec. And I and I've kind kind of got it as a podcast and I always listen to to it. And it's got at the time it had a couple of unreleased songs. They've probably all been released now, you know. I know it's got things like Lagwagon, it's got things like um Strike Anywhere, Mad Caddies. It's kind of yeah, so I often seem to be attracted to that kind of stuff but that could be associated to summer as well you know especially if you're talking about mad caddies or something like that so I think maybe that was the time of when I heard it you know it specifically was made as like a Christmas present for Floyd and so it's like okay so it's Christmas and then it kind of makes me think of think of that Um, but yeah I mean it depends on mood depends on the weather depends on how I'm feeling as well Um, but yeah for some reason always refused in, in the autumn and always is go Iscariot and Siamese Dream in the summer.
1: When it gets cold, I find myself listening more to atmospheric black metal because it has that kind of wintry vibe, you know, especially if we're talking like Panopticon or, or something like that. And I definitely feel, I think, more punk and garage in the summer. Spring, I feel like is, uh, I I don't know, I think heavy psych psychedelic music seems to be more, I think, where I go then. Yeah. I remember taking my dog for a walk around the neighborhood, walking around a pond, listening to Kikagaku Moyo's House in the Tall Grass, and it it was just like it was a perfectly crisp blue sky day and it was just I remember it the music fit just perfectly. I love how music can do that. It has that ability to either match or harness a moment or or a memory going back to the theme of mixtapes, I think that gets to the, to the root of it. I mean, mixtapes have these ways of harnessing themes and, and memories or putting a soundtrack to our lives.
0: Especially when I'm sure you have made physical mixtapes for people in the past as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're from that culture of, 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 you know, deliberately choosing songs for people and trying to think either it's something you want to express to them, like, oh, you need to hear this or it's, I think you might like this or this is not normally your style of music, but let's have a go. Let's see.
1: Burning CDs was, Mm -hmm. was the the medium, right? Yeah. I think I had as many burn CDs as I did own CDs at at one point in time.
0: Yeah. And I used to make the covers for them as well. That used to be an important part. So I'd make an an album cover for the mixtape. Love it. And I probably use something like paint. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Deliberately, <laughs> and it became this it became this thing. And um, sometimes I, I've, I've been reposting some of them online because some of them are quite funny, and they often be like puns on people's names or puns on. so oh,
1: you. You should you should totally create Spotify playlists and use that album, yeah, album the for the mixtape. Yeah, 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 You should do that. And if you have one that you create and you want it to be associated with the show notes, let me know, and I will okay. include it. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, I, I made some on the McLovin Supermix ones, which is obviously <laughs> when when Superbad um, was was big. <laughs> I can't remember who that was for. It'll come to me later. But yeah, I obviously had a picture of of, of McLovin on the front. <laughs> And then then the picture of his fake ID on the back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Were you the most prominent distributor of mixtapes or did you, uh, was it a a fairly uh, equal relationship with your fellow mixtapers? I think I gave
0: more mixtapes than I received. Or mixed CDs, whichever, if you want to be specific, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and sometimes for past girlfriends as well. But friends, housemates that I lived with, um, I probably made every in uni i shared a house with three guys and um each one of them definitely got a mixtape
1: you know without spotify that was that was a great way to discover new music and new especially new genres too if your collection is very stuck in a few specific genres and someone who has a different musical background puts together you know these are these are the top 10 songs of this genre that i love it's a really good introduction yeah. and, and a personal introduction too uh, yeah. to get someone's unique taste and perspective on on something Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. i agree (laughs) how much did you labor over what the introduction
0: track would be on those cds uh no i didn't well no no i probably did yeah sometimes i themed them so i might put like if i was doing like a a mixed cd or tape that was going to be varied with genre i might put two electronic ones at the beginning then two punk ones together, then two ska ones together. And sometimes I would organize it like that. And I suppose in general, when I do those type of things, I tend to put the electronic stuff towards the end or the slow stuff towards the end, and I tend to put the heavier stuff towards the beginning, the rockier stuff or whatever. Yeah, and then kind of maybe scary stuff in the middle before it drops into something sad and indie or something <laughs> towards the end.
1: Yeah, you want to be able to kind of control the flow of the mood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hook them. And then give him something weird and then let him leave with a little bit of pensiveness.
0: i sometimes put something silly on the end deliberately from, like, a, I don't know, a film or, like, I don't know, I think, can you remember Scatman. Scatman, Ju- I can't remember his name, but there was a song called Scatman. And it was a really daft song. And I remember putting that on the end of someone's mixtape <laughs> once. You'll have to check out Scatman. Scatman John is his name. And the song's called Scatman, brackets, ski, bab up. Uh,
1: I love it. That's that's fantastic. Ali, is there anything that you want to mention, talk about anything regarding melancholy or any of your, your personal endeavors before we uh, sign off?
0: (sighs) My personal endeavors. There are too many to to talk about. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I have lots of projects in various states. Mass Confuses still remains being the the most prominent or the most consistent because it's just me. But I've started working a lot more. I think you played one of my songs on Global Garage um, once um, by Yuko. It was one yeah, of my yeah. instrumental things. So I, when I started doing Ukule, it was just to have a break from the guitar, and it was just kind of therapeutic. It was like just oh, let's play with some synthesizers. Um, and now I've I've recorded an EP and I'm working on doing that live as well which is something i never thought i would do because master confuser is less there has to be a lot of pre-programming for master confuser because as soon as i'm playing the guitar and singing there's not a lot i can do i've only got two hands i don't know i have my feet yeah but there's quite a lot of i mean that would make
1: for a good live show
0: So, so yeah, I've had to pre-program quite a bit. Whereas could, because it's all instrumental and you know that, that doesn't have to rely on a chorus or a verse, it can be more fluid. The song that could be on the EP could be different from how it's going to be live, and it does involve actually looping. So I'm keeping the setup quite simple. But at the moment, I'm just using um, I'm using Arturia synths, so digital synths, Pigments and Analog Lab. I've got the new Arturia Mark III synth. Um, which is like a controller for it. And then I'm using two launch pads with, that work with Ableton Live. And I've got one that I'm using for like a drum rack. So, pre programming drums, uh, sorry, playing live drums on some of them. And then sequencing with the other, other launch pad. And then I've got the uh, a mixer that can kind of decide which stem on Ableton Live you want to use. Like you record on, you know, do I want to use channel one? Do I want to use channel two? So, yeah, they're the most. Prominent things, but there are stuff kind of secret in terms of it's going to be a while before they surface. Since the pandemic, the guitarist, and not myself, and also in my duo, Goza and the Gatekeeper has had a baby. So life has to you know do its thing. But yeah, with Goza specifically, we recorded an album and it's getting mixed by a guy called Dan Nola, who at the moment has a band called Shining Tongues and they're based in London. Uh, you should check them out. I think you'll like them. He's been involved in various things before. But he had something called the Infinite Three, which we, we may have spoken about on, on previous Global um, Garage stuff. Um, and before that, he had a band called Leisure Hive, which interestingly had a drum machine in the first incarnation, and, which I didn't know about, but I ended up meeting him and we played together um, as, Infinite, as Infinite Three. And he mentioned his Leisure Hive stuff, and he saw me with a drum machine He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. And I still do 5 pence game collaborations too, so I've got another one in the works. So it's kind of all these things just kind of slowly going forward, but not many people know about them, you know, but it will come to come to the surface at some point.
1: <laughs> I will I will continue keeping keeping ears ears and eyes Thank open. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah. And ready. Yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me on this first season. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for
0: having me. Yeah,
1: great great pick, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Due to my conservative approach on this show to avoid copyright violations, I can't play Ali's song selection. But if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Season 1 playlist on Spotify or YouTube so that you can hear Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness as well as the previous six guests' song selections. That said, Ali gave me one of his songs from Massa Confusa to share with you today. Here is Good to Talk. Thanks to Allie Morton for joining me on today's episode, and thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what you hear. Show notes and transcript can be found at letsmixtape.com. Follow the pod on at letsmixtape. The show's theme music was composed by Scotty Sandwich. Next week, my guest is comedian Eric Navarro from The Hard Times and punk rock Seinfeld.